Castle episode 55. As we near the end of the decade, I'm sort of finishing up my series, looking back at each individual year. And some of you may have spotted uh, 2016, 2017, 2018. Me and Rob have already done podcasts on. But what I wanted to do with this one is to just revisit all three of those years and mention a few of the albums that um, I wasn't aware of at the time we were doing those shows and ones that you know might appear in my best of the decade kind of lists and so on. Also. With our 2016 show, I was never happy with the top 10 we eventually went for. In hindsight, like a lot of those albums didn't really have any staying power. So I'm going to basically do a new top 10 with a few honourable mentions of other interesting albums. So we will recover a few of those, but I imagine most of you haven't listened to that podcast in a good year or so. So hopefully this isn't too much me repeating myself. So let's jump into a few honourable mentions. Uh, so starting off, there was an amazing debut from Kifbelis, the Canada-based death metal band with uh, Ledonia Krasepschul. This was a really cool album that very much lent heavily on its influence from particularly bands like Demilich and a lot of that early Finnish death metal scene and you know bits and pieces of Voivod in the kind of weird guitars and so on. The album starts incredibly strong but then kind of slips into a groove of just sounding like a more modern Demilich. It's really cool I, I thoroughly enjoy it and like the, the musicians on it are absolutely brilliant but I think they kind of topped themselves with the EP they released a bit later like I think early 2018 they put an EP out I'd like to see where this band goes in the future, but I think the slight lack of originality on this one keeps it from being something like I really listen to a lot or revisit a huge amount. Alcest put out their fifth album, Kodama, which was a really great return to form after uh, Shelter, which I found to be a bit too kind of melodic and gentle. Like, as much as Alcest are never a particularly brutal band in any way, their move into basically being a total post-rock band was a little disappointing, and Kodama coming back is probably quite possibly the heaviest album they'd ever put out was really cool. I just don't find I listen to this one quite as much as the few before it. But I, I don't know if there's any real huge criticism. It's just they're a band at this stage that have to do something quite incredible to top some of their earlier work. The more obscure one this year I really enjoyed was The Howling Void, The Triumph of Ruin. So this is what, the fifth album by this long-running uh, one-man project. So the sound of this album, I'd say, to me, it feels like if uh, Catatonia's vocalist sung over primordial riffs. It's got that kind of folky, slightly blackened sound in the riffing, but then these just really melancholy, like, mid-range, like, quite subtle vocals. It, so it's all one-man projects of Ryan Wilson, who is in all sorts of bands, like, uh, most notably Intestinal Disgorge. Like, so here's a guy who can do this kind of thing really nicely, but also go right out into the depths of brutal death metal. Interestingly, I think, as from what I can tell from the rest of the discography I've heard, this is a bit of a departure for these guys, and they, well, this guy, uh, with Howling Void, he normally does a far more kind of funeral doom sound, and this album went a bit more folky, and included like some cool blues elements as well. There's like a lovely guitar solo in the middle of the album, which is just one of those moments where a little bit of lead was the absolute perfect thing to 
top the song off. But yeah, if you like the sound of that, I'd highly recommend it. It's it's a really good, fun album, and so impressive as a Ron Man project. Another really cool debut was Messer with Belfry. Um, they're one I would debate whether they're truly a metal band, but they definitely sit on that kind of Reverend Bazaar cathedral, like more modern cathedral end of doom, where there's like a lot of rock going on in there. It's It was a really interesting debut because they had so many disparate ideas come together on it. There's proper kind of noise elements, like the whole first five minutes of the album is an interesting kind of slow build-up of feedback, but then when things kick off with the first track proper, Babylon, it just dives straight into this big riff, kind of old-school heavy metal doom with really awesome clean vocals. Yeah, and then, but then sort of trades back and forth between that kind of style and then some more strange build-ups. There's like a guest saxophone in places on it. Overall, it's a Possibly slightly unfocused, but really interesting package. And some of those aforementioned choruses are incredible. We also saw the final album from the Utah-based sort of progressive doom band Sub Rosa, who always had an incredibly interesting sound, having two additional violinists playing in their, their brand of slightly off-kilter clean vocal doom with some really uh, powerful lyrical content as well particularly the the final track of this album if you look up the video for it is really spectacular stuff like proper kind of tear-jerking metal yeah it's a shame shame this band sort of came to an end with this one but they definitely went out on a high we also got two absolutely amazing EPs this year. Gorgut's put out Pallades Dust, which almost feels unfair to be in the EP category. It's like a 33-minute long single track doing the the modern Gorgut sound, but taking it to an interesting place because never before had those riffs been kind of moved through this many different movements. It doesn't sound all that different to Coloured Sands, but... Coloured Sands were so inventive and interesting, I, I have no issue with that. It's also this amazing YouTube video, which I think I've watched in full about four times, of Colin Marston just playing the bass parts, start to finish, for this track. And what he's doing is so interesting and out there. You can see why Gorgot's sound is being kind of... So, you know, so many attempts at imitating it, but no one ever quite getting there or really capturing it. And talking of a band that are nigh on impossible to imitate... Imperial Triumphant put out their Incest EP, which is very much them finding the sound that would later go into the next album. Like they're a band who like changing their sound between every single release, each EP, each album. They change stuff up ever so slightly. At this point, I believe the lineup solidified into the the core trio we have now, and yet yeah, things just continue down that route of black metal meets jazz where the guitar work is kind of so much secondary to the drums and bass the drums and bass are creating like all these interesting grooves and melodies and the guitar will just be doing something utterly bizarre so if you need any more kind of uh proof of that watch the the first proper track on this ep kaleidoscopic orgies there's a guitar lesson for it 
on YouTube. You can find, I forget which site put it out. And it's apparently like the most disliked video they've ever done because it's just this bizarre, like, noise on a whammy bar. Yeah, super inventive band. I can't heap enough praise on them. And if, if you want to get into them in a smaller dose, this EP is definitely a good start point. So, um, at number 10 in my revised top 10 of 2016, we have Universe 217 with their fourth album, Change. These guys are an experimental doom band from Greece, and they do a kind of really interesting style where the songs are still very contained and to the point, you know, often not exceeding the five minute mark. Actually, this album I think is only about 45 minutes long in total. But they're like kind of kind of riffy to the point with quite like powerful female vocals over the top. Not particularly high or um, operatic or anything like that. Just got a real punch to them. Like uh, Tanya, the vocalist, is just a really brilliant rock vocalist with occasional, as added on this album, sort of harsh screams, but like very few and far between. The interesting thing these guys do, because they're four pieces, only one guitar, is often in the more melodic sections, the guitar will move from a 16 to a 12 string and do these really kind of like jangly, beautiful clean passages over a kind of the bass and drums locking down more of a groove. And something about that sound makes like the bits where the riffs come in and all the guitar locks in with the bass and drums sound all that heavier. Yeah, so they have a really nice move between the light and heavy. And I think this album as well was the first time where they really got the production solid. The previous album never. Very inventive and great fun, but it sounds a bit kind of rough and scratchy, whereas this sounds like just a brilliantly put together record on every instrument has its place in the mix and it it just has a lot of punch to it. Highly recommend if you like that kind of very riff-driven doom.
slash experimental band Bosk, spelled B-O-S-S-K, with their first proper full-length album, Audio Noir. So these guys formed in 2005 and put out, in two years, two EPs, one and two, that were very popular and got them quite a lot of acclaim. And then went relatively quiet for quite a long time, until many years later, eventually coming back with Audio Noir, basically the same lineup. Um, yeah, they're a really brilliant example of unique songwriting in that kind of atmospheric, slow burn kind of sludge genre. You know, the Cult of Luna, Isis, that kind of mould. But where Bosk sort of differ is they will spend probably even longer in the more kind of mellow atmospheric territory before coming in with the all-powerful crushing riff. So their builds to the payoff are absolutely huge, or at least often sort of feel that way because a lot happens in any given time between these kind of massive sections and some of their melodic sections are particularly beautiful say a track like uh kobe on this album has such a nice like melodic sensibility before it gets heavy and they did really well with this album because it was so anticipated them doing something else after you know almost a 10-year absence of studio releases that it was fantastic it could pay off in this way and unlike a lot of those bands this again is a great example of condensed songwriting. The whole album's only forty-five minutes long, so it doesn't it doesn't drag on. It's not one of those like near eighty-minute-long epics that our genre sometimes produces, which can be quite hard to digest. This is really easy to get your head around and get into because it is such a short listen. These guys, I finally got to see live at Arctangent, and live is definitely where like they they excel most. But the studio release is utterly incredible. Something that's worth noting as well is I absolutely love the colour palettes of the the album cover. It's a really essentially a really striking picture of a night sky above some kind of trees and mossy ground. But the the way it's coloured that, it's just an absolutely beautiful picture. And this is a band that do a lot with kind of graphics as they're playing live. So the visual element of this band's always been very cool. I think they're another one that sort of credit the, the guy who does their visuals as a kind of unofficial sixth member. But yeah, like the highs when like the riffs really get going as well and tracks like Atom Smasher on this absolutely punishing and if you ever get the chance definitely go check them out live but if not this album's a really good point to get into them
So far on this podcast, it feels like I've been talking a lot about Doom. So, for a complete change of tone, at number eight, we have with Escape, with their second album, The Northern Sanctuary. They're from a genre I don't touch on all that often. This is a melodic death metal project. Uh, It's a two-man project uh, led by vocalist, keyboard player and drummer Dan Swano, uh, with his good friend Wagnar Wilberg playing guitar and bass on it. The interesting thing with with Escape is basically a, a slight concept Dan Swano came up with he wanted to do with this project that I feel keeps it really unique without being the most inventive concept in the world and this was the idea that he wanted to both sing and scream for this project like do his beautiful clean vocals throughout and his kind of guttural Michael Ackerfeld style screams but have any given riff in this album be able to deal with either of those vocal style over it so every riff's got to kind of rock and be quite you know have a heft to it so the screens don't sound totally alien, but also have a melodic sensibility that there's something to lock in with, you know, in terms of a melody when he's doing the cleans on it. This is very typical modern dance one affair as well, so keyboards are well high in the mix. It's got a really slick production to the whole thing. Nothing in it's massively technical. That's not really a style he ever sort of goes in for it's far more um just melody driven like this is a very beautiful melodic album in places particularly with tracks like marionette towards the middle of the album it like that song starts off so gently and when the screams come in it it really justifies this concept he had for the album like this this way of of moving between sections by just changing up vocal styles and so on. Uh, apparently that song as well was written by Dan Swano playing around on a completely out-of-tune guitar and he just sort of just fretting random notes eventually came up with this quite weird melody that starts that particular track off. While that's definitely a highlight of the album, tracks like uh, Wake of Infinity, In the Eyes of Idols or Divinity really rock there's so many good riffs in here it's just a really well put together album and anything that's a vehicle for Dan Swano's voice I am happy to put time into I love his singing even if in places this does go a little bit into the Pearl Jam Yarly quality for some reason he totally gets away with it and, and for an album, the keyboard's kind of turned up this high in such a cheesy manner. Normally this would put me off, but for whatever reason, Dan Swanner just has enough charm in what he's doing. And Ragnar's guitar playing's excellent. There's some really great solos in here, and his riff works really decent. The main criticism I have of this album is that the first half hour of it is absolutely brilliant. But then it closes with the 13-minute The Northern Sanctuary uh, title track of the album. Which just is a like after a lot of kind of short first chorusy songs, this one is just really meandering and doesn't doesn't make use of a massive runtime like that in in the way you would hope it would. It it doesn't feel like a massive like a big close to a great album. It just feels like some meandering ideas that they didn't quite work out stuck on the end. Which is a shame because otherwise really brilliant stuff and another really uh, nice album cover as well like again really good color palette and cool design highly worth checking out if you've got time for 
any of the kind of more modern melodic death metal, or, you know, if you're just missing Edge of Sanity. This has got enough of little things like that in it that it might scratch that edge. If he could see the gleam in heaven, he could believe the once again. Hiding in a heart that's cold and blind. She will demand his pure devotion, like a drifter in a storm. Searching for a place that's safe and warm. And she will be the ones again before his plight. Embrace the soul, the trees instead of flame. And as she steals his own before the war, for there will be a mere puppet in a game. Seven, we have a band I've been getting way more into recently. This is Aranzi Bazuzu, the Finnish bizarre experimental black metal band with their fourth full-length album. And I'm not going to try and pronounce the name of it or any of the tracks on it because they're all in Finnish and I have no idea how to read that language. As you'll know if you listen to our, my and Rob's review of it, I think towards the start of this year, we floundered quite badly on that front. But what we get with this album is is a really interesting melding of some kind of classic black metal tropes with just the best of 60s psychedelic rock somehow perfectly mixed together. So, like, particularly, say, like the opening track of this album, we see a really neat melding of these two in, like, a great, expansive, almost 12-minute song that really gets the hang of knowing when to go slow and atmospheric and then build up into these just gigantic sounding riffs. There's um, the combination of guitars and keyboards works in a properly mind-bending way where you can't quite tell where one tone ends and another begins such that you it's hard to ever really track down whatever one instrument is playing. I've never managed to catch this band live, but uh, listener Donovan Zimmerman has mentioned them a few times as being like one of the absolute sort of live greats. So that's something I've got to rectify soon, and I equally highly advise it. Because they're one of those bands where I feel like you're not going to see someone doing quite this sound 
anywhere else. So it's just really interesting stuff, like where the second track is mostly based around this just like repeating tribal drum groove with slowly building keyboards and so on. Like, that's not something you expect in a black metal album, but yet they keep enough trappings of black metal throughout. Like the guitar tone's quite black metal a lot of the time. The vocals never really move away from the black metal scream. These guys have been going since like 2007, and this is their final album so far, but they've had a couple of EPs afterwards, so hopefully we've got something coming in the near future from them. But like the evolution they've gone on from the first to this point, they're just a group that have really honed their craft and worked out how to make something really uniquely weird and brilliant. Definitely worth a go, even if black metal's not your thing. together it's fantastic but anyway at number six we have another another debut this is the first full length from Zilanado. at this point in time it was a self-released one-man project of uh, swiss american manuel guadno who decided to mix kind of old african-american spirituals with satanism black metal and weird experimental music absolutely fantastically odd release very rough and ready like this is clearly a home recording but in it he was doing something truly unique and interesting realistically i am not going to do a better job of covering this than i did back on that 2016 podcast so i'm not going to dive into that kind of level of detail if you want to hear this covered more go back to that one but what i will say is for me, this is still totally stood the test of time. Like, their newer album, Strange Fruit, was really great fun. But 
this one... I don't know, there's something... I think the surprise of hearing it has never really left me. It's still... No one else has done this before. No one else will probably do something like this. I, I don't think... I think somehow they've just locked down this sound and no one will be brave enough to try it again. It's so, so weird and wonderful and and deeply satanic while also still being kind of silly and fun. Since the release of this, um, he actually got together a full, like, I think, seven-piece live lineup, which I was very sceptical at first of because this album is so clearly like a home-produced thing. But live, turns out they're absolutely brilliant, and so it's a band that's just gone from strength to strength from this point. This album, though, as I say, is very clearly a one-man project. It, like, the drums, by design, sound incredibly programmed. There's no bass in, in it at all. It's all vocals, guitar, keyboard, and programmed drums. But what he's done with the vocal layering um, and what's thrown in in terms of like the weird guitar work, it's still fantastically unique and really, really engaging. The only way it sort of loses something is it has this sort of structure of two proper songs interlude uh, repeated three times, and the interludes are a bit bizarre. The first one is, I think, a remix of The Call to Prayer, which later got stripped out and replaced with a different interlude when this got a proper studio, like, uh, not studio, sorry, label release in 2017. Probably not entirely for bad reasons. Um, uh, and, yeah, like, uh, some of the other instruments and ludes are just kind of more... They kind of almost sound like strangely nursery rhymey, but all the, all the six songs proper are really really good. There's like a, also on top of the black metal, there's little elements of like melodic death metal in there as well. Like there's some kind of cool melodic leads to latch onto. Um, so there's some really interesting stuff that fits so well thematically. Like uh, with the opener, "Devil Is Fine," the kind of one of the main percussive beats being the sound of a chain being swung or struck against the floor. Something I've always been disappointed actually, talking of that particular sound effect is, live, no one actually does that with a chain. I remember years ago seeing this um, kind of acoustic black metal band called Ancient Wisdom, who are well worth checking out actually if you like Zelenardo, who did live that percussive thing by striking, striking a chain against the floor of the stage. I definitely like Zelenardo to pick that up as a thing because it would really fit with their live aesthetic. But anyway, that's, that's that's a ridiculous sort of thing to ask. Everything around this was absolutely brilliant. It's well worth looking up as well. There's some great stories connected to like the use of sigils, the picture on the front cover of this album. It, like For something that feels like so much like a bedroom project, there is a bizarre amount of calculation that's gone into it. And it really is a peak of what can be done when... You're not restrained by anything and, you know, happy to throw as many genres as you like at an idea. Devil is kind. 
So, in my humble opinion, I've thought for quite a while 2016 might have been one of the true high points in metal history, like one of the best years we've ever had. And with these top five albums, I hope I can sort of sway you to that opinion. Yeah, there was like such strong releases across so many different genres. As you've heard already, we've had like truly brilliant like doom, um, black metal, very experimental stuff, melodic death metal. With uh, this next pick, I think this might well be one of the greatest grind albums ever made. Um, Punishing Brutality actually did a really good section on this album about two episodes back. This is the third album by the Singapore-based band Worm Rot Voices. So, Worm Rot uh, were the same three guys throughout their entire like, sort of early history since back in 2007. Uh, guitar, drums and vocals. And not long, a little while actually, after, after the release of their um, second album, Dirge, their drummer quit, and for quite a while, it looked like this was going to be the end of the band. But luckily, uh, they managed to recruit uh, drummer Vijesh, who is just absolutely incredible, and put out this third album, Voices. And there is something so subtly brilliant about this album. I, I'm not quite sure how they managed it, but... In 2016, they managed to reinvent in the world of Grind. The, the, the album starts in kind of more or less the same vein as Abuse and Dirge, their first two albums, with the <laughs> amazingly titled Blockhead Fuck Off, and we're just automatically battering over the head. But even in that, that brief minute of music, you get the impression they've done something very clever with the guitar tone, something really brilliant has happened there and this is a band who already had all the elements right like the the vocals are your perfect um classic grind style of of like absolutely barney greenway style super loud lows but then also with some ridiculous high end switching back and forth between those two both of them abrasive in your face angry the guitar and drum work super fast, super efficient, really tight, technical in places, but mainly just fucking fast. But what they seem to get on this album is moments of incredible melodicism. Sometimes out of these like punishing sections of grind, you get these brief like sections of beautiful but subtle guitar work. I it's really hard to explain just how they've done this, but and the album to really get the full effect of it needs to be heard as a whole. It's only about twenty five minutes long, like much like a sort of Gridlink, who I've talked about quite a lot in previous episodes. This is the band where you could listen to their entire discography in well under two hours, but worthwhile experience. Personally, I don't think Wormrot have ever put a foot wrong with what they do, but with voices, they somehow found, like, an nth degree to their sound. And at the point where they were, like, totally teetering on the edge of of you kind of falling apart and maybe even being slightly forgotten. Now, I mean, what, barring Napalm Death, they're probably one of the biggest bands in the genre. These guys recently played 
the esteemed Glastonbury Festival, but as as a band this metallic, this extreme, that's utterly incredible. But yeah, whatever your thoughts on Grind are, give this album a go. This should really at this stage, this should be most people's start point if they want to attempt to get into Grind. But not only is it a good entryway, it is a real pinnacle of the genre, and I think at this stage, the kind of sound bands should be aspiring to. so incredibly deserved and like they're one of those rare bands where all the love being heaped upon them seems like totally justified this is uh the debut album by blood and incantation starspawn so these guys formed in 2011 they're a u.s based uh kind of relatively straight up old school death metal band with some touches that make them truly unique and really a force for good in the genre. People who are really pushing it forward rather than getting set in their ways and so on. They're, um, they, I think that it caused a bit of a stir in the underground before this uh, album came out with their Interdimensional Extinction EP that not only is a short burst of amazingly executed uh, death metal it also has a really fun album cover and some just like nice odd touches like uh, they always use a fretless bass player so it's damon good of um star stargazer that's the band uh too many stars in this um play playing the bass on that album and before starspawn came out they they recruited a full-time uh bass player to the band because damon is based in australia so couldn't keep doing this kind of thing. It's on Dark Descent Records, who, you know, are, are well regarded as, like, a really important label in the modern, particularly kind of 
old school death metal scene, but you know, branching out into some other cool areas. But yeah, Starspawn is just an album that sort of bends a lot of rules in really interesting ways. It's only 35 minutes long, but opens with a 13 minute long track. It's that kind of idea of just doing everything their own way. Like there's something very unique about this band. The whole sound of the album is incredibly gruesome, incredibly dirty. Like the guitar tone is really fuzzy brutality throughout this. The riffs are fast and punishing, but yet ever-changing. And they, they are melodic elements. There's good use of lead guitar, but that lead guitar sort of straddles this interesting line between being in places quite impressive and shreddy, but then in other moments just kind of absolute Vader-style dive-bomb nonsense. And that just... Everything about this is super engaging because of this. The vocal performance is this really cool low ultra guttural thing and then after this like this really cool uh almost 40 minute long opener we get four quite short tracks including like an instrumental towards the end of the album the, which is just how many bands can you think of who would structure an album like this the cover of the album is sort of impenetrable nonsense as well like it fits quite well with the kind of complexity and fuzzy nature of the music where the cover is this near blurry image of like a smoking kind of planetscape with blood incantations trademark completely impossible to read bloody splatter logo there's so many things this band do right and with their latest album appear to have just gone from strength to strength but they are just executing this style of death metal, which is a style of death metal that's very you know, near and dear to me, hence why I write this so highly, in a really unique and interesting way. They, And they do it all without totally breaking the mould. This is still, without question, uh, like an OSDM album. It couldn't, it couldn't be anything else, but still sits very uniquely in that genre. Like, if you put if you play like a minute of this album to anyone who's heard this band, they will know it's them. Whereas I think a lot of those others, like particularly a lot of those like HM2 Swedish death metal worship bands, kind of become a touch interchangeable. Hence why I say Blood Incantation at this point in time seem like such a force for good in the album. And as I mentioned, like sort of spoilers for our 2019 show, I think this band have only gone from strength to strength from this point.
At number three, we have a band who kind of do a similar idea to Blood Incantation, but the end result seems totally different. This is Mifras with their fourth and possibly final album on Strange Loops. Mifras are a UK-based tech death band that have been around since around like the very late 90s and put out the, yeah, these four albums in that time with some interesting other releases in between. Why I say they've got that overlap with Mif uh, with um, uh, Blood Incantation is they both have an incredible sci-fi aesthetic to everything they do and also both are bands that have an incredibly forward-thinking nature to a lot of what they do without descending into kind of technical self-indulgence. So Mifras has basically always been the project of drummer, guitarist and synth player Leon Macy and bass player slash vocalist Rainer Koss. Um, Rainer has a particularly interesting vocal style which may be off-putting to some but I really like especially for the quality of their, their lyrics. Um, he has a very discernible voice. It's kind of more of a low-pitched bellow rather than like this kind of more gurgling kind of sound you get of a lot of the more traditional death metal vocalists. Like He's a very non-traditional vocalist, but as a bass player, incredible as well. Like So much of what Mithras do is based around tone. Um, they, they spend so, so much time in studio getting exactly the right sound out of everything. Uh, Leon will spend, you know, there's, there's usually videos of a lot of recording of this in the previous album, where he will spend ages agonising over exactly which symbol he wants on the drum kit. Like, and the, the guitar tones sort of really reflect this. He has one of the most unique tones I've ever I've ever seen, um, seen live, actually. I'm very lucky to see one of these this band's very rare live performances. And again, possibly the last they'll do of that. Where... His his guitar tone is like it's your classic death metal distortion, but washed with all this kind of like chorusy reverb noise. I'm not sure exactly what effects it is, but it really makes it have this almost. I think I've described it before as sounding almost kind of liquidy. Uh, there's there's something amazingly sci-fi about it, and actually, what really works as well because a thing Mifras often experiment with is throwing in these long passages of kind of building synths in places and the guitar and the synths meld together really well in this uh, as i mentioned the lyric writing is really cool like there's some great sci-fi concepts being explored definitely an album to sit down with lyric book in hand to go through and something else about it is not only it, it are, is the guitar tone really interesting? The guitar playing is utterly incredible. Some of the solos on this are properly mind-blowing, and rhythm playing as well. Like, Leon is an incredibly gifted guitarist and fucking brilliant drummer. The, I think one of the main reasons they've never really been able to solidify a live lineup is because they can't get... They can't hold on to a drummer who is this good, and Leon because his guitar playing so unique, could not be the live drummer, because I don't think he's replaceable in, in guitar terms. And sadly, it seems like he's not replaceable in drum terms either. But anyway, this is a band that truly make use of being primarily a studio project. Things are incredibly focused in that regard. There's so many cool things done with massive layering up of guitars. Um, 
on tracks like um, Odyssey's End, we get really cool stuff with a, a riff comes in and you get a layer of guitar doing something kind of an interesting counterpoint to that riff and then another layer and another layer and then maybe some synths as well to make these like melodies that become completely impossible to disentangle from each other but are completely confusing all around you. Definitely a good headphones band as well. There's so many moments where something will come from the left or right and just totally change how you're perceiving perceiving the album. It starts in amazing fashion with the opener, Why Do We Live?, which is this kind of gentle, slow burn build that has a moment which really justifies... Uh, Rainier's sort of like bass playing on this album of just this one slide to let you know this is about to kick off and his bass is equally affected in an interesting way like Leon's and it makes such a huge noise that yeah this, just this slow bass slide into a track feels like it's all about to go and so yeah this slow build goes into when the stars align and we get the first proper kind of death metal blaster of the album there's, there's loads of interesting moments on this, though. We have, towards the end, you get tracks like uh, The Last Redoubt, which is this kind of melancholy guitar and synth instrumental, similarly The Outer Dark a bit later on, both with, like very evocative. But between those two is Inside the God Mind, which is like this absolute blast fest, like ridiculously heavy track. But there is also moments of great melody within some of these heavier songs, There'll be the odd thing that puts people off. This is a a very modern tech def drum sound. Like the the it's a very clearly triggered kit, and if that really bothers you, I I feel you might have some issue with it. But as I've said before, there is there is no way round that sound really if you want to be playing at this speed. And this is a band that totally justifies that hyper speed. Uh, the amp covers. Absolutely awesome as well. Subtle but beautiful. This is a band who have got the hang of having good album covers for a while. It's just an incredibly complete package, and that's why personally I'd put it above like, you know, the the true great stuff that is like Blood Incantation, Starspawn, Wormrot's voices. As I say, like I feel twenty sixteen was a year where just the volume of completely mind blowing music was very high. Yeah, it highly cool like if you're into if you're into any kind of death metal give this a go even melodic death metal there is stuff for fans of that genre in there yeah Mifras are a truly brilliant band I hope Leon finds a way to do more with the project in the future but if this is to be his final album it's not a bad way to go out
band that I've covered in such depth on the podcast before. I don't want to go into too much detail uh, here, but this is Slice of Cake with what was going to be their final album, uh, The Odyssey to the West. But as of this morning, I have seen the news that after a three-year absence, the three founding members of the band have all made friends and are playing tech fest in the UK later uh, later next year. So, th- incredible. I'm so happy to hear this. Okay, so if you're not aware of Slice of Cake, they are a band I've heard described as avant-garde deathcore, but realistically what they their sound actually is is an incredibly technical progressive metal rooted in the extremes of modern death metal and and some kind of metalcore and deathcore elements as well as some very progressive melodic sections involving a lot of acoustic guitar the band's really interesting as well because we it's led by one main vocalist who does all sorts of stuff like they have a really good kind of growl to them but also completely competent clean singer and even do these long sections of what can only be described as voice acting really um, all over this incredibly complex, ever-changing music. It's an utterly incredible album, this. It's such a deeply impressive statement. It's a ridiculous runtime, you know, closing on the kind of 80-minute mark. But it is one of those albums I truly love. And I know this kind of thing won't be for everyone, but this is what really gets me in music, is the idea of we're properly following a character on a journey. It is a concept album where we really go through the emotions of this story and I I feel all of it. Like when the way kind of the vocalist tries to sort of manipulate your feelings throughout, I just think really, really works. But on top of that, we just have a load of really great songs. The first half of the album focuses more on doing you're kind of back and forth between that kind of extreme death metal with some kind of slightly proggy interlude pieces. But then the second half of the album, things get start getting really strange. We get to tracks like The Dark Circus. They start playing around with absolutely ridiculous themes and far more kind of weird and wonderful vocal deliveries. The emotional punch at the end of the album is utterly incredible. Some of the spoken word sections are really affecting and well done the lyric writing is incredible i went to explain exactly how it works there's a really good article on prog notes so if you search for slice of the cake lyrics i think is one of the first thing that comes up if you want to get into that in more detail it's amazing but for me yeah i I found this album so deeply engaging and for something that essentially can only be listened to in one chunk and it's about 70 minutes long I happily put this on every couple of weeks. It's ever since I got into it in like early 2017, it's just been something I kept revisiting. Truly brilliant stuff. And, and I'm so happy this band's reformed. Zay, if it sounds interesting to you, either go back to the podcast where I discuss it further. I can't remember all the details I sort of researched for that one. Or, you know, just sit down and give the album a go. I think it's like. I think it's like pay what you want on Bandcamp as well. Well worth picking up. And it's an incredible product of three people. There's barely, other than a couple of guest vocalists and guest solos, there's barely anyone else involved in it. I think even the artwork for it's in-house. Yeah, really, um, really cool collaborative effort. And, and fucking hell, yeah, I can't wait to hear more from this band. 
one thing I realised I should have mentioned is with that song I, I just played of Slice of Cake, those really low guttural vocals are actually a guest vocalist, uh, JJ Polacek of the American Christian death metal band Seven Horns, Seven Eyes, who maybe I need to check out for the next time I do a uh, Christian metal episode. But yeah, just like, <laughs> had that been all the same vocalists, he might be one of the best vocalists out there. That would be quite a range. Anyway, um, moving on to my number one. So this will probably come as no surprise. Um, the number one has actually stayed exactly the same since we um, first recorded that 2016 episode. And actually, this is the first band we ever covered on the podcast and one I have talked about at length, but we'll keep going on about until everyone loves them, basically. This is Oceans of Slumber with their second album, Winter. So Oceans of Slumber were an interesting kind of progressive doom band that really found the kind of extra dimension to their sound when they recruited vocalist Cammy Gilbert. I should mention they're, they're an American, like, Texas-based band. But yeah, there is something about this band that just works so incredibly well. Um, it's I think the main composer for it is drummer Dobber Beverly, who is most famously known for being the incredible powerhouse behind Insect Warfare. And to think that a man from go, can go from the blunt force trauma that is Insect Warfare, one of the most crushing, punishing bands in Grindcore, to the beautiful subtlety of Oceans of Slumber is mind-blowing. The guy has to be one of my all-time favourite drummers. Like His performance on this album I love so much. Uh, it's so ridiculously intricate and complex and is really takes the lead sort of helping so well to build these large sections but he's just someone who like never he never just keeps the beat his his hands are just all over the place at all times he's definitely one of those drummers as well who justifies having a much bigger drum kit like uh just because those like he needs those subtle changes like because he, he, he will make full use of it. The lineup is is like a full like six piece on this as well. So we've got two guitarists, uh, bass player, and keyboard player as well. And with it, all the all the guitarists and bass player adding additional backing vocals. So in like along with Cammy's incredible cleans, you get a really cool array of different scream vocals and some occasional like lower male cleans, as as with the first track Winter actually aptly demonstrates basically everything this band do. The 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 scream vocals vary from like any like the black metal Nazgul shriek all the way down to like some proper like slam vocals towards the end of the album in in the track uh Apolog Apolog uh, I don't know how to say that one. But anyway, yeah, in that track the 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 middle of the album goes into a full blown slam, despite like this mainly being a melodic doom album. There is a cover of the Moody Blues' Nights in White Saturn that features a blast beat. Um, there is beautiful piano-led um, instrumental tracks. Um, I believe Dover plays the piano on them because fuck just being one of the most incredible drummers in metal. The guy is an absolute powerhouse. Um, yeah, just I, I just love everything about this album. If you're not aware of it, like I'd say the best way to get into this band, or at least the way I found, was um, 
there's a really good video of a studio performance of Winter where you can see exactly what every member of the band's doing. And these are all, like, obviously absolutely excellent musicians, but then, you know, looking at this top ten list, I don't think there's a single band in there who would go down as anything other than, like, proper virtuosos, like, at this stage, metal bands just are. But it's the composition is really what sells this band. This album is so incredibly varied, like... With with a track like Winter, we've got this great eight minute build that gets really heavy in places, but has these really gentle melodic moments. But then in the middle land, we have a track like Suffer the Last Bridge, which is essentially just a really good rock song. Um, we have uh, the the album closes with this road, which is just heartbreaking, like. There's a song Cammy says she can never perform without crying slightly, and you know she really makes you feel that. Like this is a deeply emotional album. I've previously said I think this is like the greatest breakup album I've ever heard. It, it is like I think it more or less tells the story of a relationship falling to pieces, kind of basically chronologically, but it does it in such a beautiful poetic way, and all the songs actually work quite well out of the context of the overall concept it's just it's just fucking excellent like there there is nothing i can fault on this like yeah my only fault is the album is that it's three minutes too long this road is the perfect closer and then there's just a kind of cool piano outro uh in the form of grace and it's fine but I, once i get to the end of this road i tend to just turn it off but that, that's you know that is incredibly minor. Yeah, I, I do think this is an absolute pinnacle of what can be done with doom metal. It's as heavy in places as many of the heavier like end of this genre, but also is as melodic as many of these bands will ever be. But it never drops into that kind of like um you know, the the sort of like prog power metal end of that that kind of melodicism where it ends up all cheesy. When this is light, it's melancholy, it's like, you know, pulling at the heartstrings, and when it's heavy, it's brutal, but then still has that sort of melancholy and sadness to it. And it's just throughout incredibly inventive. And if you're someone who's into good drumming, like throughout this the drumming is just so interesting. But they all the other instruments totally have their place. There's some great solos brilliant riffs the whole way through it yeah it, 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 to my money this is a near perfect album and i know i've talked about it on the podcast so many times like if there was an album for this podcast to be associated with i think it's this one but i'm fine with that like yeah i i fucking love it really happy to have seen these guys play damnation i think about 2017 um maybe late 2016 and where they played basically ignoring all the instrumentals and so on played this album in full and it's one of the best live performances i've witnessed it just yeah was lucky enough to be on the front row and was completely enraptured by the whole thing it utterly amazing yeah i'm so happy there are bands putting stuff out quite this interesting so they've since done a follow-up and it is pretty decent, but sadly after that the lineup seems to have imploded and it's just Cami and Dobber now leading a totally new band. We'll see where it goes. I, I have full faith in those two that they can 
keep putting out utterly incredible music. Will will they ever top this? I don't know, but then I'm not sure that really matters. If you're able to put out something this brilliant once in your career, that's pretty incredible. And in Dobber's case, he also has uh, Insect Warfare's World Downfall, which is like a kind of genre-defining grind album as well. So hats off to the guy. That's pretty incredible. It's tempting you almost bleed You never step on the way Every last breath you take And as you stand there in a trance Salivating through every pore in your body You pine for that release You can only achieve by giving Puts her hand on you, jams and whispers in your ear, baby, it'll be alright. So you take the forbidden fruit slowly from the tree that is growing, then you take a bite. Love all of Can you taste the disease? You start shaking the tree, falling full of might be interesting now if I go back over the top 10 me and Rob made back at the end of 2016 and see kind of how it's aged. I can't remember quite how many of the ones I covered today were in that previous list. So um, yeah, going into it, at number 10 we had Sub Rosa for this We Fought the Battle of Ages. 
which, as I say, I, I still think holds up very well. I mean, I think on my new list it was around 15, so... And it's still now my go-back-to quite a lot. So, yeah, yeah, pretty pretty happy with the positioning of that one. At number nine, I had Ishan's Arctis, uh, which I believe is about Ishan's fifth album. I must say, I have not revisited... With Ishan, I never go back to any of his albums really other than angel and after and occasionally some of uh the really experimental one dash or something like that uh a lot of the later stuff for whatever reason feels somewhat like him just treading the ground he did in angel and after again and arctis very much had that problem where it just didn't have a great deal of staying power with me number eight we have opeth the sorceress and very similar. Uh, basically, with Opeth, and we'll probably get into this a bit in the 2019 show, since Heritage has come out, every album they've released subsequently I've enjoyed more than the previous one. And at the time, I think it always makes me feel like, oh, this is brilliant, Opeth are back on form. And actually giving it a bit more time, it's like, no, it's just I liked it more than that. Sorceress again, much like Pearl Communion. It's not an album I've revisited in any great detail. Like, I possibly haven't listened to it in the last, like, probably year or so. So, yeah, that, that was that was probably a bit of overexcitement on my part there. Number seven, we have Zeal and Ardor, which I still utterly still love. Number six, we have Hammer's Misfortune with Dead Revolution. And it's yet another one where it's a band who I really love their earlier stuff. And they put on an album which was a slight improvement on the previous previous album, in their case, 17th Street. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot more than that. But actually, I don't think over time it's really held up to that same point. Um, number five, we have Universe 217 with Change, which obviously, yeah, still deeply into, maybe not quite as much as I was at the time when it came out, but yeah, still a big fan. Number four, we have Oathbreaker with a third album right here. Oathbreaker are... A really interesting band who started out as kind of a quite to the point angry hardcore band and then brought in more kind of melodic elements more noise elements and more kind of elements from black metal and started doing some really interesting stuff and right here is very interesting but for whatever reason i don't listen to it that much anymore possibly just because it's a very difficult listen it is a dark upsetting album i still think it's very very good but uh, not something I revisit a great deal. Number three, we had the Devon Townsend Project with... Is this the last Devon Townsend Project album, Transcendence? Um, it's a cool album, but as uh, we, we mentioned whenever we do the shows together, these lists are an amalgamation of mine and Rob's tastes, and Devon Townsend is very much from Rob's uh from off side of things be interesting to chat to him actually to see if he still rates transcendence as i think at this point he rated it as like his first or second like album of the year so interesting he still holds it in that high regard number two we have one that makes me a bit sad vector with terminal redux um i love this album i think it's fucking incredible it's probably would have been one of my favorite albums of the decade but as i said a while back on the separating the artist from the art show Dealing with the fact like he's like there's some really shitty stuff surfaced around Dave DeSanto, the main guy. I'm just not that interested in talking about them in this kind of 
celebratory format that these big end of the year and end of decade shows are so yeah that one i'm just i'm just putting to one side and it's not taking part in these lists maybe one day i'll be able to revisit that album and enjoy it but for the time being it's not on my radar and another one as i said ocean's lumber winter so yeah you can maybe see why i wanted to redo this because i don't considering how dynamic and incredible that year was uh like that list wasn't particularly great whereas now that top five i've got i think i like any of the top five i spoke about earlier I would not argue with someone saying those were like the absolute best of the decade. Particularly if you're like you're a grind fan, I could totally see you being that into Wormrot's voices. I'm not the world's biggest grind fan, so for me, although it's inventive and incredible, it won't ever be my absolute favourite. I do think 2016 will stand as a real high point in metal history as a load of really groundbreaking, interesting albums that came out. And plus there's a load I haven't even touched on of, you know, old standard or like old standard bands putting out some really strong stuff like sort of Meshuggah with a violent sleep of reason or rotting christ with rituals or gojira of magma which is you know rated as very highly not an album i love quite so much but um i can't remember what publication it was had it voted as the album of the decade so yeah there, there, there was loads of cool stuff going on in this period and hence why i wanted to dive back into it um at the start of the show, I said I was going to go over some of my favourites from 2017 and 2018 that didn't make it into mine and Rob's reviews of those years. But actually, sort of looking at the lists, I feel it's kind of pointless at this stage. There's albums in there that we haven't discussed at all in the podcast that I would like to visit one day, but I, I think I might try and fit them into a bit of a context again. As much as these list shows are kind of fun to put together, it's kind of a, a laugh to... Um, to try and string these things out and rank rank completely impossible to compare albums. Um, I might, I'm looking forward to going back to the format of shows with a theme. So, yeah, I think I'm going to leave those for now. Uh, me and Rob will be back right at the start of the new year with our best of the year roundup. We'll do the usual, like the format we settled into last time round of a show where we just discuss everything we liked and then a show doing our top 10. And then I'm going to do my top 10 albums of the decade, which all the this series has been in preparation for. I've got an idea that I hope will make that a bit more fun and it won't, so it's not just me essentially saying what I've said on these podcasts before about some albums I really like. Another reason I don't want to cover... Uh, 2017 and 2018 is because there are a few albums I think are going to make it into there from those years that I'd like to be a bit of a surprise like so I, I yeah I'm gonna gonna leave that where it is for now as always you know hit me up on social media and let me know what you think let me know from any of these time periods like if you think there's some absolute classic albums I've missed. So really, at this stage, yeah, if you, you think there's anything from 2016 I've not touched on that's absolutely incredible, if you think there's some completely undiscovered gems like you found recently in 2019, let me know as well. It's always good to get those in for those end-of-year shows. So sorry we're leaving a bit late this year. Timings just haven't worked out for doing the podcast before Christmas. But yeah, uh, hit us up on social media, um, at Frills, uh, 
sorry, at Phil's Breakfast Metal on Facebook, at Breakfast Metal on Twitter, or if you want to get in touch by email, Phil's Breakfast Metal at gmail.com. Yeah, thanks a lot for listening.